Welcome to the Weight Loss for Fertility podcast. When you're trying to get pregnant, whether naturally or with the help of a fertility doctor, weight loss can better your chances of success. I'm Dr. Stephanie Fine, and I help you do just that. Let's go. Hello, fabulous. I hope your new year is going really well. It's January of 2023. I wonder when you're listening to this. Hopefully it is uh, on the day's release. <laughs> that would be awesome. But if you're in the future, hello. I hope your year is going well too. And, uh, you know, there's resolutions and things. We're not going to talk about that right now. We're just going to keep talking about weight loss for fertility because that is what we talk about every week right here. And today we're talking about the clean plate club. Are you a member? (laughs) So the clean plate club goes from something you have to learn to do like as a kid to something we have to unlearn as an adult. So the clean plate club, if you don't know, you're lucky if you don't know, but the clean plate club is something like our caregivers. Usually this is how it came up. The caregivers would put food on the plate and kids, they're so worried about the nutrition for their kids that they sort of demand that they finish their plate. And sometimes the incentive would be dessert. You know, you can only have dessert if you clean your plate, if you eat everything on your plate. Now, of course, that was the best of intentions, right? The caregivers are concerned about the nutrition of the kid. We now know, I don't know how long we've known this. We've probably known this a very long time, but kids naturally will eat a balanced meal if they're offered the food, you know, a balanced food. We can only, and and it, it's in a whole week. So it's not necessarily that in a day they're going to get a balanced meal, but if you take the whole week into consideration, they will. Generally, of course, this is not for everyone, we can trust kids' bodies and, and how they're going to feed themselves if we're offering them good food all the time. But that wasn't how I think it was thought of years ago. And certainly there's um, ripple effect here. You know, uh, it goes down generation to generation. So our caregivers wanted to make sure we had what we needed, right? So they put a little protein and carbs and fruits and vegetables, you know, all that sort of stuff on there. And they wanted you to have it all. Even if you didn't really want it, you learned to eat it anyway particularly if that dessert was dangling, you know, in front of you. So the the intention was good. But what it proved to do is to override our internal cues for hunger. And we're going to get into a little bit when sugar and flour is involved, but definitely kids have a really good sense of when they're hungry when they're not, and we can override that as they get older. And as we, you know, use techniques like the bribing (laughs) with the dessert, or just to make the caregiver feel better. Like it's often that food and love are entwined. So if I love you, I'm making sure you're alive. I'm feeding you. And how do I know I'm doing a good job? You're eating all the things I feed you. Now that's sort of the kind of slightly messed up logic, right? Um, because it doesn't actually make sense that the more I love you, the more I feed you, 
right? It, it, so it, it's our, our bodies only need so much food. So it doesn't have anything to do with how much you love me or how much you don't, right? It's like if you really loved your car, would you overfill its tank? You know, like that, it has nothing to do with it. But we do intertwine it because it feels like we're caring for our child that we love by feeding them. And of course we are, but it can get a little confused there. Okay. So the cleaning the plate becomes a sign of love or our parenting. And so it it's the anxiety of the um, caregiver that has you, has the kid cleaning the plate. Okay. So it made our caregivers feel better. Not necessarily us, although we, and it, and it didn't feel terrible necessarily because then we got dessert and we were happy to override whatever um, full or satisfied feeling we had just to get the dessert. So, and of course, kids don't know exactly what's going on. So, and, and caregivers were doing it unintentionally. So it just becomes sort of this mess that a lot of us have to deal with. And then we just reinforced it over the years, right? So we, in our brain, we started getting like, oh, I will please people around me if I finish my plate. And it feels good to us when we please the people around us if we love them. And it also just became the norm, right? So whatever feeling you had when you finished your plate, whether it was satisfied or full or very full, that became the normal feeling after you finish a meal. Oh, I'm supposed to feel this full. When that may not, in fact, be the case that it's better if you're feeling satisfied, not full. But then we just get in this habit and we do it over and over and over again, literally years and years and years and decades. And so of course we learn it. And as we're doing that, we're unlearning or not paying attention to the actual cues that are inside our body. And then when we use the external ones, then we start to abdicate the responsibility to the plate, right? To the restaurant owner who has different um, goals for you, <laughs> right? That he or she wants you to come back. So they want it to be plentiful. They want it to be delicious. They want it to, so they have a different um, reason for how much food they put on their plate, not having to do with your hunger. But we see a plate, we finish it and it tastes good. So we just keep going. So the plate starts to be the indicator of how much we should eat rather than our internal cues. So if we find ourselves in the position of wanting to have a healthier relationship to food and eating, then we need to unlearn this. And even just bringing our attention to it, right? <laughs> even just realizing what's happening. It, I mean, most people would think that one plate of food is a, is a portion of food is what you're supposed to eat. I'm putting air quotes around that. But there's so many reasons why that's not the case anymore that we can't rely on that now. So relying on our internal cues ends up being the answer to helping us when we're overeating in a meal. So I'm suggesting that we tear up the membership card <laughs> to the Clean Plate Club and we start to let our body decide when it's had enough. So the hunger scale is the place to start. And I had a whole episode on the hunger scale. It's episode two. It's called Hunger Scale. And I suggest you go listen to it. It's one of the foundational concepts of weight loss or fertility. And the idea there is that you stop when you're satisfied, not full. So full is already too much food for a meal. But satisfied, another way to say that is enough food. Another way to say that is 
um, no longer hungry, that's a great place to stop. Okay. The other thing, and when you listen to the hunger scale episode, it's to make sure that you're hungry in the first place, right? So we're only going to eat food when we're actually hungry, not really hungry, not very, very hungry, but hungry. And then we're going to stop when we're satisfied, not full. And your body will tell you that. But like I mentioned before, we may be very used to eating until very full. And so first we have to understand that piece and start eating uh, less to get us to just full. And then and then we can experiment with getting from full to satisfied, even knowing what that feels like. A lot of us have no idea. We think full, like, and when I say full, I'm, it's slightly uncomfortable. Very full is uncomfortable. And full is sort of, it's uncomfortable. Satisfied is not uncomfortable. Satisfied is I've had enough food, I'm done. We need to relearn that. Okay, and the scale is, is, will help you do that. So listen to that episode, get numbers, and then you keep checking in with yourself. Where am I on the hunger scale? Am I neutral? Am I hungry? Am I very hungry? Am I satisfied? Am I full? Checking in with yourself is the way that you teach yourself about the scale and how you know you're satisfied, full, hungry, all the rest of that stuff. Only you can know that for yourself. So practicing is the only way to do it. When you use the scale, you're helping to relearn this, right? And then, so what you do is you take smaller portions at home and then check in. Am I still hungry? If yes, go get more food. Perfect. In this clean plate club idea, we don't want to put too much. It's It could be harder to put too much on or a lot on and then have ourselves stop when there's a lot of food left on the plate. At home in particular, I would highly recommend having a small portion on the plate and then eat that and then see how you're feeling. And then if you need to or want to, you get more. Okay. And then at the restaurant, one of the ways that I like to do this is to just decide you're eating half. Now, as we get better at this, you'll, there may be so much food, you may be eating a quarter. I mean, but you'll be checking in with yourself and knowing this. But the point is, is to not just take the plate as that's the portion I'm going to just keep going until the plate is completely clean. If, of course, you're very hungry and you're checking in with yourself and you want more food, then you may eat everything on the plate. There's nothing wrong with that. The point is, is don't use the plate, the amount of food that someone else gives you in particular, as a sign that that's what you're supposed to eat for a meal. Your body's the thing that tells you. And when we start to listen to the body's cues, we learn what keeps us satisfied longer. Like you'll start to notice which meals last you longer, which meals have you feeling better in your body, all that stuff. Now, when you start paying attention, you'll start to notice that thing. And and this is another important piece. Generally, protein lasts the longest. It gives you important building blocks for yourself. It stays in your stomach longer. It takes longer to digest. So protein is such a good thing to have in a meal. And when you have that in combination with uh, whole foods that have fiber in them, you're you're going to feel satisfied longer and that's excellent because we don't want to have to be be hungry every hour and that actually can happen if you're finding that that's the case 
likely it's because you're having processed sugar and flour as the main food for a meal. And what processed sugar and flour does is it spikes your glucose really quickly and you feel sort of a high. And then the insulin has to spike up right after that. And then it uses up all the glucose and comes crashing down. And then you're hungry again very soon after. So processed sugar and flour is so interesting. It is, you know, it's processed, right? So that's not how it's found in nature. Like if you were chewing on a sugar cane, uh, cane, you know, like, like a big, have you ever seen them? They're like, they're just kind of thick. If you'd have to gnaw on it to get the sweetness out, sort of suck and gnaw, it takes work and it actually in nature comes in fiber. But when we process it down, you know, it it looks like that table sugar. There's other forms, but you know, that is pure sugar. So in order to get that much sugar, you'd have to like eat a big, huge piece of cane. <laughs> you like it wouldn't it would be very hard to do because all that fiber you'd feel very full before you had even a teaspoon or tablespoon of sugar. Now I'm not sure of the exact proportions, but you get the idea. When it's processed, it's so much easier to have so much more of it. And our brain was not designed to have the processed sugar like that, like such a high concentration of it. It was designed to have the treat from fruit or from the sugar cane like that. When you're having it with fruit and sugar cane, there's fiber there. So it's it's like a rate limiting. It's limiting. You can't eat, you know, 12 oranges. I mean, you can, but it would be very, very, very full. But you can have orange juice from 12 oranges pretty easily. And then you could have the equivalent of the sugar in it really easily because it's processed down, all the fiber is taken out. Now, processed flour is the same thing. If you had a wheat shaft, it, it you know, gnawing on it, it's very different than if you have the processed white powder of flour. And what a lot of people talk about, especially addiction scientists, they'll tell you that this sugar and flour is very much like the idea of heroin and cocaine. Those heroin and cocaine are naturally occurring in um, nature. Uh, I, I was just thinking, of course, I'm sure there's other drugs that aren't naturally occurring, but we're just going to talk about these for now. But they're processed down to to the part that really affects your brain in a very powerful way. So does sugar and flour, really. It's on the same continuum. So um, obviously I'm not talking about having heroin and, and cocaine, but, but I am talking about processed sugar and flour, which can affect the brain in such a way that it's, you know, a bit addictive, but also it's an unnatural response in your brain and it can mess up your hunger cues. That's the point of that. So the hunger cue is then exaggerated because the glucose goes so high so quickly and then it comes crashing down because of the insulin release. And then you're, it's hard to determine when your body is actually needing fuel or if it's just crashing from the sugar and flour. Now, that does not mean you can never have sugar and flour. Some people do very well with no sugar and flour. Very, if you're, if you feel very addicted to sugar and flour, that is one way. It's like, you know, alcohol, not ever having, if you're an alcoholic and not choosing never to have alcohol again, that is a way that really solves the problem. But 
the people that I work with mostly don't want to give that up completely, and that's no problem. But unopposed processed sugar and flour, it I would recommend against. What that often looks like in our society is a breakfast. <laughs> so, a, like especially like a, a latte, you know, like a, a latte, or especially during like. Um, you know, the holiday times when they had peppermint and pumpkin spice and all those things, so much sugar in there. There's that. But then there's also, uh, Americans have, they have a bagel or they have a, a donut or they have a, um, a cinnamon bun or any of those things. Like if you had a sugary coffee and that, oh my gosh, you would be flying around <laughs> in the morning. And our bodies can get really used to that. It can want that much stimulation in the morning, right? Caffeine, sugar, I mean, oh my goodness. But there will for sure be a crash on that. And then you can imagine you get really hungry, even cranky. Um, Mid-morning, you might need more coffee. You might be starving for lunch. So that sort of breakfast really doesn't set you up well. If you have protein in your breakfast, and breakfast doesn't have to be huge, but having some protein in there, cottage cheese, yogurt, eggs, all are great options. And if you have, if you want to get in the habit of having sugar in the morning, it, I do recommend not having as much sugar in the morning, but I mean, you can't, you certainly can. If you're having eggs and other things, it's going to be so much better for you than if you just have the sugar and flour in the morning. Now that is true. That combo is true for always. So um, protein and whole food fiber is excellent to have for your other meals too, in terms of understanding when you're actually hungry and when you're actually satisfied. It really makes a difference. So if you want like a, like a sugar and flour, like a dessert is actually a perfect time to have it after a meal because you already have the protein and fiber in you. So then the sugar isn't, doesn't get released as fast. It's kind of like if you've ever had alcohol on an empty stomach, it, you, you feel it much quicker than if you had it like a glass of wine with dinner. It's this exact same with sugar and flour that if you have it unopposed, you feel it very quickly and it, you'll come crashing down. If you have it after dinner, then it'll, it will feel better in your body. The other thing too is having it for dessert, you really know if you're hungry or not, right? Often after dinner, we're not hungry. So deciding to have dessert is like a special treat and a couple bites will be so satisfying as opposed to finishing whole bits of it if we're checking in with our hunger scale. So that those are the two pieces about retraining our brain in terms of the clean plate club. Losing weight in a way that isn't restrictive or depriving means relearning your internal cues for when your body needs fuel and when it's had enough. That means not using external indicators, like what you're given or what's on a plate, but internal ones, asking yourself, Are, am I hungry? Am I satisfied? Not full. And to do that, we use the hunger scale, checking in often, knowing when learning, knowing when we've had enough food. It also means hearing those messages as clearly as possible by making sure to have protein and whole foods in meals and not having unopposed sugar and processed flour, which really can 
make it very confusing about your hunger cues. Then cleaning the plate will bring up images of soapy water and and sponges rather than licking the plate clean, (laughs) which is what we want. We just want cleaning the plate means just doing the dishes rather than having to finish. And certainly having to finish before having dessert. We don't want that either. You can like really leave a little room for dessert. That doesn't mean be completely full and leave a little room for dessert. It means stop at satisfied or even a little sooner so that there's so that eating a little bit of dessert doesn't make you uncomfortable and you enjoy all of your meal. That's the Clean Play Club. Losing weight can feel easy and last forever. And learning this tool is part of that process. I help you change the way you think about food and you drop pounds in the process. So connect with me on Instagram at stephaniefineMD, that's F-E-I-N, and lose weight with me or ask me a question. I would love, love, love to connect with you on there. Have a wonderful week, everyone. If you follow, share, rate and review this podcast, you'll be helping it reach others just like you and making their journey with weight loss and fertility just a bit easier. Lighten their load. Share in your groups and social media. Thank you, fabulous.